0: Laymen. Well, amen. It's something that's painstakingly sought after, but is, uh, as you probably well know, uh, increasingly elusive. It's defined as the state of harmony, tranquility or quiet, the state of security or freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotion, uh, emotions. And that harmony and that uh, tranquility and freedom is desired to be experienced within us. I am, of course, as you already know, after having uh, heard me with the children, I'm describing peace. It's a universal desire, something we all want. No one wants to be at odds within themselves. No one wants to endure inner turmoil or inner unrest. And I say that with confidence because there is no shortage of recommendations as far as how peace can be experienced. A quick search on the internet lets us know that. Uh, WikiHow even provides five, uh, five steps... I guess for lack of a better word to experience peace. They, you know, you can go take 12 minutes every morning and meditate or you can take a walk or you can grow a green thumb or commute to work quietly. You could go to the positivity blog and, and learn that if you just set limits, If you learn some relaxation techniques, if you can simply slow down, if you can unclutter, if you can accept and let go, if you can escape for a while, disconnect over the weekend and and you get the idea. Even Tiny Buddha has his idea, knowing your ideal self, doing the right thing, practicing patience, validating yourself. And then a couple, Mark and Angela, whoever they are, suggest that we just trust ourselves and we move towards something, not away from things. But then they turn around and say, but we need to take a few steps back. And it's just confusing. Their last one, of course, was we just need to look for the beginning in every ending we don't know if they're simply quoting the philosopher seneca or semi sonic there are issues with peace but our passage tonight paints a far far different picture a far different picture of all of these all of these other websites because the fact is that true peace cannot be manufactured True peace cannot be willed into existence. It, it takes more than med- meditation. It takes more than self-motivational talks. It takes more than just simply making fewer but better choices. It's not something that you or I can bring about. True peace only comes from the Lord. True peace only comes from God. And it only comes from God because true peace is actually the peace of God. And the peace of God is only experienced by those who have peace with God. And peace with God is only possible by resting in and trusting in the one who paid the price for that peaceful fellowship. And of course, as we've been learning and as we know, the one who has done that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone has made it possible for you and I to be in peaceful fellowship with God And having that peaceful fellowship with God, we can be at peace in ourselves. And our passage from Leviticus 3, like chapters 1 and 2, that Dana read just a minute ago, points us to Jesus. Points us to Him. And so you're going to find in the back of your bulletin a note-taking guide. There's not an outline in it this week. Um, That is my fault, but there is space for you to take notes, and we will have an outline. Our outline is going to look like this. We're going to look at the clarification of the peace offering. We'll look at the correlation between the peace offering and the other offerings that we've already looked at. And then finally, we'll look at the considerations for New Testament Christians for us today. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you by your spirit allow us to appreciate the richness of your story of redemption, of which you have graciously made us a part. Grant us eyes to see and ears to hear Jesus, the one to whom this passage points. And may we all be changed from the inside out as a result. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we begin, it's important, as has been and will be the case, to clarify what the peace offering actually was. We heard, again, Daniel read there um, many things repeated and different animals, but we want to look closely at, at those. And one of the best ways to do that is to identify or di- uh, its distinguishing characteristics as compared to the other offerings that have come before So we'll compare the the peace offering with the burnt and grain grain offerings. The characteristics, some are found here in chapter 3. Some I'm going to pull from chapter 7 that we're going to look at more closely on October, uh, the first week of October, okay? So there are five of them. First, we need to notice that unlike the burnt offering uh, that could only be an unblemished male, this offering, the peace offering, could be an unblemished male or female from the herd or the flock, secondly, unlike both, unlike both the burnt offering uh, that was completely burned and the grain offering that was partially burned and and, and portions given uh, the portion, the larger portion given to the priest, the peace offering was also partially burned. But part was part was burned. Another part was given to the priest and then part was given back to the one who had come to make the sacrifice. So, as you heard Daniel read, the the fat and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver were were placed upon the altar to be burned. They were considered the best parts that were burned for to the or burned to the Lord, and were, were considered a sweet aroma to Him. The breast and the right thigh were given to the priest, and then the remaining portions were given to back to the worshiper that were to be a part of a meal. Third, the offering also included, and we'll, again we'll see this later, it included leavened bread. Uh, the offering, fourth, also included a meal that we will focus our attention on a little later. And finally, there were three different occasions that this peace, peace offering could be made. Uh, the first was a sacrifice for thanksgiving. It was a sacrifice that the people would give, thanking the Lord for mercifully delivering them from something... That had inhibited their relationship. He had mercifully delivered them from a particular situation that had estranged them and the Lord. Primarily sin of some kind. And so they were thanking him for delivering them from that sin. But also thanking him for providing peace and restoration to fellowship that had been estranged. Now they were back together. Another reason that they would bring this offering is to complete or fulfill a vow uh, an individual would make a vow to the Lord and say, if you would answer this prayer, Lord, then I will come and I will make and, and satisfy and, or fulfill this and, and bring this offering to you in a way of saying thanks for fulfilling that vow. Um, so this uh, person would come, that prayer would be answered, and they would keep their end of what they had said. And the best example of this is Hannah, if you remember her uh, after the birth of Samuel. And then, lastly, there was a sacrifice that was considered a free will offering. And so, the third use of this offering was they would come and just a spontaneous, um, just a spontaneous act of thankfulness and gratitude for God's grace. They would just something something didn't necessarily have to happen, but just within themselves, they would desire to thank the Lord for the grace that He had expressed to them, His goodness and His faithfulness. And they would come and they would bring this sacrifice. Now, regardless of the occasion, the, the steps were the same. The individual would bring that, that unblemished male or female animal, animal. They would lay their hands upon it, much like the burnt offering. So there was this identification with it. This animal is me. It's in my place. It's going to be as a, a substitute for me. The individual would then cut, um, would, would kill the animal and then they would remove those parts that were to be offered to the Lord. Uh, they would cut it up, and the rest, the, the portion, would be given to the priest. And then another portion would, of course, be given back. Uh, they also, of course, would, the priest would throw the blood against the altar. But the last part was to be shared. And we, again, we'll learn in October that there was a certain time period with which the animal needed to be consumed. It was either within a day or two. Now, to fully appreciate the meaning behind this peace offering, I think it would be, it's important for us to see the correlation between the three. It doesn't just stand alone. Okay. It's a part of, of these offerings of the burnt and grain and peace offerings. And we really need to go back even to remember the context in which the Lord is providing Uh, directions for these offerings. If you remember, uh, God is now present with his people in the tabernacle, something that he had not done since Eden. He's come down from Mount Sinai, is in the presence of the people, but unfortunately no one, even Moses, is allowed to enter into the tabernacle. And so the question that the Israelites are asking is, well, if Moses can't, who can And it's at that point that the Lord is gracious and he calls out to Moses from in the midst of the tabernacle. He took initiative. He prescribes the remedy. If you want to know how, this is how you are going to dwell with me in my presence. And so if you remember, there first was a burnt offering. It was an offering that atoned for the guilt or paid the debt and ransom and the wage of sin for the worshiper. The guilt was placed or, or taken uh, by the Lord or paid for through that substitutionary sacrifice and the guilt was removed. It was a soothing aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. So not only was the guilt removed, but the Lord's wrath was satisfied and the Lord's favor was turned back to the individual. And so the, the relationship had been restored between God and the person bringing it. In burning the entire animal, Symbolized the complete and utter nature of man's sinfulness and, and the complete and thorough forgiveness that was what was given and God's total claim upon the person's life on the one that was bringing that sacrifice. And so by bringing it, the person was acknowledging their sin and guilt. The person was expressing, they were turning to the Lord in faith and then they were expressing their thankfulness to the Lord for what he had done and they were resolving to live in a holy manner, giving their, their whole selves to him. And so then having made atonement for sin, they would then bring the grain offering, having his guilt and sin of sin removed, having been forgiven, having the favor turned back. They would present a grain offering and it was brought in response. Of a, it was a response of appreciation and gratitude and servitude, as well as dedication and consecration. The salt that was added was a symbol of purity, but it was also a symbol of of this covenant between the Lord and his people. And it was a way for the people to say we are committing our to obey and serve the Lord. We're going to keep our end of the covenant. And we're thankful. It was also a way of thanking the Lord. For his covenant keeping. Despite their faithfulness. They were acknowledging that he. Would be faithful. Even though they would not. He had promised to never leave them. Or forsake them. So having given the burn offering. And then having given. The, guilt, uh, the, the grain offering. They would then present. This peace offering. And it included a reminder of the need for atonement, as that blood sacrifice pointed to. But its primary focus was communion and fellowship. It's a very, very important distinction. It, it, took, it took the relationship that had been reestablished in the burnt offering to another level. It moved from simply gaining access to the Lord to actual fellowship. It moved from being invited in to actually sitting at a table and fellowshipping with one another. So the peace offering was an offering of whole and complete acceptance. While the burnt offering made fellowship possible and established it, it was Through the peace offering, that fellowship. So if you remember, we said that the, the Lord would dwell in his tabernacle. It was called the tabernacle, his place of dwelling, but it was also called the meeting place. So we have that in these offerings moving from simply a place where he dwells to a place where he would meet with his people. So he was not only present among them, he's meeting with them and This is made profoundly clear through this fellowship meal that took place after the sacrifice. Once the meat had been given back, the meal was shared between the worshiper and with friends and family. Uh, It was a means that the people there that were gathering around and eating at the table would acknowledge God's presence and his nearness to them. And because the eating of meat was a luxury, it was a way for for the, the Lord to uh, pledge not only His presence but His promised blessings upon those who participated in the covenant, they were they were covenant they they were members of that covenant, and God was saying, "Here is here is my blessing to those who I am in covenant with." So, sharing the meal was a, a mark of true fellowship, not only with the people and God, but also between one another. And as the people would sit down and eat, they would experience the peace of God as well as peace between one another, but only because they had been, they were now at peace with Him because of the sacrifice that had been made. So, what about us? What are the considerations for us as New Testament Christians? There are a few things that I would like for us to think about tonight. The first is we should consider the consummate nature of Christ's work. The consummate nature of Christ's work. In other words, and I've said this the last three weeks as well. The reason we didn't come in toting an animal and and a sack of grain. And pausing at the door and making our sacrifices before we enter is because... These sacrifices not only point to, but are fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done that for us. It is the Lord who laid down his life to atone for our sin. He was the full and final sacrifice through which the sins of God's elect have been atoned for. He's paid the debt that you and I owe. For our sin, our guilt has been removed and was placed upon him. God's favor has been restored to us. His face is turned back toward us because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And that is why Paul says in in Ephesians 2, if you'll remember our study there, that Christ is our peace. And if we needed to be reminded, we read that in our New Testament reading tonight. And I I would like to read uh, from Romans 5 where Paul says... The same thing he says in Romans five, beginning in verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him. We have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces patience. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For, he says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from his wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. Those who turn their faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, who who look to Christ for their salvation, experience and obtain the peace of God. With God. Peace with God. We have access to and are in fellowship with God. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf. He has secured our peace. With the Father. And as a result we are recipients of the spiritual blessing of inner peace. Peace is, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And, it's, and, and we've been given every spiritual gift. We've been given spiritual gifts. And we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Peace is included. That, that inner peace that we spoke of earlier is ours. Jesus is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was, once, was the once for all sacrifice for sin. He offered Himself, made purification for sin, sat down. It is finished. We are at peace with God and we have the peace of God within us. And so tonight, whether you... Are a believer or not. Please know that the peace we seek. Will not be. Because it cannot be found anywhere. But in Jesus. Only in him. Meditation is not going to work. Motivational self-talk is not going to work. We must look to Christ. The peace of God is available. To those who experience the peace with God. And the peace with God is only possible in Christ. Christ. So we consider the consummate nature of Christ's work. But let's also. We would do well to We would do well to consider the elaborate nature of the benefits of Christ's work. We would do well to consider the elaborate nature of the benefits of Christ's work. And what I mean is we tend to take the benefits of Christ and lump them all into one. And I think we would. It would do us well. And that's not a bad thing. But I think. One of the benefits of taking the time to walk through these sacrifices one at a time is that we are able to see, as we do, the individual benefits of Christ's work. We, we take them almost one by one and consider, consider them thoroughly and completely the nature of Christ's work. So we, we think of our guilt having been removed. We, we think of our sin being atoned for. We think of being forgiven. We think of the debt being paid. We think of God's wrath being satisfied. We think of having our fellowship restored. We think of no longer being enemies, but His friends. We think of being reconciled. We think of having access into His presence. And and we think of that fellowship that we have with Him. And we consider those things one at a time. Thirdly, I think we should consider the deliberate nature of our worship, the deliberate nature of our worship. And there are two facets to this. First, as far as our participation in worship is concerned, like the sacrifices in these first three chapters, our gathering for worship is not mandatory, it's voluntary. And what I mean is that it is a delight for us to come as the people of God. It is a delight for us to come. We come in response to a call, but we come because we want to and need to. We come to express our praise. We come to express our thankfulness and gratitude for what the Lord has done. We come, we, we come to acknowledge and affirm the fact that we have been set apart and that we are His. We come, in, we, we come to dedicate ourselves to, to the Lord as, as holy and living sacrifices But just as the Israelites had to consider and think about this. They had to consider and think through what every sacrifice was for. They had to consider exactly which animal to bring. They had to consider what was going to happen when they brought the animal. I mean, there was this built in system, this check and balance system to make sure that they didn't fall prey to some sort of mindless ritualistic pattern. And so when we think of gathering for worship as we come and as as we respond to the lord for all that he's done and for who he is may the, the rubric that we provide in our bulletin is not simply for guests it's for all of us it's for all of us to be thoughtful in why we're doing what we're doing what why are we doing what we do and in the order that in which we do it we would do well to be thoughtful as we come and participate in our worship service and, and it, because our desire is to worship him with with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that leads to the second. I as far as the deliberate nature of our worship is concerned, we ought to consider the planning of it. And think through our liturgy. I hope you've noticed the similarities between the progressive nature of the sacrifices to this point and the progressive nature of our liturgy. God calls us, as he called Moses. He calls us as his people to gather and worship. And we, we come and we respond to that call acknowledging God for who He is and what He's done. We, we recognize His various attributes, including His holiness. And coming coming into his presence and recognizing that holiness, we come face to face with, with the reality of our own sin, our own depravity, And so what do we do? We confess our sins. We confess our sins both corporately and individually. And then the glorious news of the gospel. That we we are forgiven in Christ. His blood shed for us. And so we hear that assurance of our pardon through the gospel. And then what do we do? We respond through our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And we then... Hear from the Lord through the reading and preaching of the word. And and we affirm our common faith with those who have gone before us. And then what do we do? We come to a fellowship meal. We're invited to the table. And we come to this fellowship meal because God the Father has made a peace offering of his son on our behalf. And He calls us to gather around this table with Him and to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ. To partake of His body and His blood. We feed upon Christ that sacrifice that was made for us. It's at the table that the faith that He has given to us and that is ours through which we cling to Christ. That faith is... Through which we enjoy that access and fellowship. Through the meal he increases and strengthens it. Resting in him. It's at the table before us that we remember that we have been accepted. And our fellowship has been restored because of him. Not something that we've drummed up. We who are prodigals. Prodigals. We're invited to come home to a peace offering meal, a feast, a feast that has been prepared and presented before us. And finally, we should consider the corporate nature of our fellowship the corporate nature of our fellowship. The fellowship meal. Of the peace offering, included the worshiper, his family and friends. It was a corporate gathering around a table, not one where you ate alone. That's why we gather around the Lord's table together. We come as a body. Because not only are we each individually in fellowship with the Lord, but we as a body, as His church, are in fellowship with the Lord and with each other. So we we will come in just a moment and we will we will each come and stand and hear the words of institution. We will take those cups and we will go back and sit down and we will wait and we will take together. As a body. That's why that's why when we gather once a month for a fellowship meal, we're doing more than just trying to taste the different varieties of food for the, the specific theme of the week. We're gathering to fellowship with one another and to fellowship in the presence of the Lord. And that's why when we gather in our small group Bible studies, we eat. It's why when we take time to gather in each other's homes, whether that's spontaneously or for a birthday party or for supper groups, what are we doing? We're, we're eating together, but we're fellowshipping with one another and we're fellowshipping in the presence of the Lord. That's why when we have family meals after baptisms or weddings and we celebrate the vows but we're also experiencing the fellowship of the Lord and and not only do we enjoy one another but we are enjoying Him. And that's the heart. Remember, going back to the first week, remember, that's the heart of and the purpose of both creation and redemption. We, We... are to live with God in the house of God. And by God's grace, each and every week, we get a small, pun intended, taste of that. We get a small taste of what that will be like. And brothers and sisters, may we never take this fellowship for granted, or this fellowship for granted. May we come thoughtfully, mindfully, may we... And may we look forward to that day with great anticipation when we will truly, face to face, eat and drink and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. At His table, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's go to the Lord and pray.